Mollusca. Hello and welcome to Animalia, the podcast all about animals. And the weird and interesting things that they do. I'm Farley. I'm Annie. And I'm David. In Australia, summer is here, which means we better get used to this sound. The sound of cicadas. We spoke to a scientist with a serious passion for these creatures. So I'm, my name is Dr. Nathan Emery. I'm a plant researcher at the Australian Botanic Garden at Mount Annan. And I also research cicadas as a, as a hobby. How did you get into that? Uh, it goes way back to when I was a, a, a little kid. Um, my dad would take uh, myself and, and my two siblings out to national parks and reserves around Sydney and, and we'd uh, be armed with butterfly nets and go out there catching uh, cicadas to add to, to his collection as, as he was quite passionate uh, and still is uh, on, on cicadas around Sydney and Australia. Oh, so this is a really just a passion. This is a serious passion from childhood. This is a serious passion that's been going for decades. It's um, it's never left me, and um, just I think you know in hindsight, being able to go out uh, uh, into those national parks and and be around native plants is is what got me um, uh, wanting to learn about about conservation, and and I went into plant conservation specifically. It's actually funny. I'm just realizing now. You say. Cicadas, I say cicadas. Is that a Sydney Melbourne thing? Uh, I, 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 um, I think it is. It's also a um, Australian and American thing. Cicadas is quite common in in America. Um, there's a lot of different variations on it. I, I've heard someone refer to them as uh, shikadas. <laughs> really? Uh, very very peculiar, but whatever works. Tomato yeah. tomato. Clearly <laughs> a tomato tomato. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the states always says cicadas too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I say cicada. What do you say, David? Yeah, cicada. It's always been cicada to me. <laughs> I love okay. it. It's like whether you say adva- advanced Australia Fair or advanced Australia Fair. <laughs> I love just establishing more different differences between Sydney and Melbourne people. It's always great. Little things we can be competitive about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a poll and see if me and David are weird or whether that is a common Melbourne thing. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I have to switch to cicadas now. So when we talk about cicadas, we tend to just refer to them as the cicadas. But how many species are actually out there? We know of around about 800 species in Australia. Um, and that's what we know of. We, we, I wouldn't be surprised if we could top the thousand mark, if we could get out to some of the more remote uh, central and arid regions. Um, where it's a bit more boom and bust. Um, and, and that really puts us head and shoulders above everywhere else in the world. Um, if you look over to New Zealand across the ditch, they've got about 44, 45 species, which I think is the same amount that we have in here in the Sydney Basin alone. Wow. Uh, North America's got about 100, 150 or so, and the United Kingdom only has one. So, you know, we, we, we are the cicada capital of the world right here in Australia. <laughs> I did not know that. That's so cool. So, in other words, 
Australia is the home of things that can kill you and things that annoy your ears a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, things that are really cool and fascinating. Yeah. I'm with Nathan yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite cicada species? Uh, growing up, it was always the, the red eye um, cicada, which is closely associated to um, a lot of people's favorite black prince cicada. Um, but this one's more sort of solid black and has these uh, very stark, bright red eyes um, that just stand out and stare sort of daggers into you. And that I was always just fascinated um, as a kid by that cicada. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't doesn't emerge in, in everywhere uh, every year. So I'd always be a bit disappointed at the end of the season when I hadn't uh, come across one. Yeah, I guess that leads really well into one of the things that is really interesting about cicadas is these life cycles where they come out some years and not others. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they have this really weird life cycle where the vast majority of their life is spent isolated uh, in the cold, dark, damp soil underground. Uh, in Australia, we suspect they... Uh, spend up to seven seven years or so for these larger species like the like the green grocer, and uh, they emerge when the temperatures get warmer and a little bit of rain in spring and summer. Uh, and their sole purpose is to find a mate, and they've really only got between one to four weeks to find a mate. So a really short period of their their life is spent uh, above ground, annoying us. They just do it in large numbers, so it's it, it goes for months and months on end. But uh, some of the, um, the the like the magic cicada, for example, in in uh, North America, uh, that spend that species spends uh, up to seventeen years underground. So uh, one one of the prime numbers that um, they've done a lot of research on, and and they can predict just about down to the day when, when broods are going to emerge. Yeah. So what is like, I guess, what's the advantage of a species doing that, having these 17 years underground and then having these mass emergent events? It's well, the main trainer uh, line of thought is a predator avoidance strategy. So few uh, uh, potential predators of cicadas have these kind of prime number uh, boom and bust cycles. So by keeping it at a prime number too, it's, it's, it means that would those uh, boom bust cycles are unlikely to uh, align um, at regular intervals. So when you emerge in large numbers, you're gonna lessen the chance that you're all gonna be consumed by uh, predators during their boom cycle. And then you're gonna uh, lose a lot of your uh, reproductive uh, capacity. So um, yeah, your progeny is not, um, not gonna happen and you're gonna eventually or potentially become locally extinct in an area. I think we're just processing that. That's so cool. <laughs> so like that, even that idea, it just sounds like a mathematics equation these animals thought about a long time ago. They're like, hey, we're gonna, this is it. This prime number is gonna work for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, we, we have no clue whether some of these um, species have set years. Um, certainly the, the, the Magis Cicada is known to count seasons by, measure, by sort of keeping track of sap flow. They've done an experiment in, a, in America where uh, someone artificially sped up the um, seasonal conditions that a plant's um, that had cicada nymphs feeding off it. So they, they mimicked a shorter season, which I think changed it from 11 to 10 and the cicadas emerged after 10 years instead of the 11 years after they were supposed to. But 
Here, it's a bit more um, uh, unknown. We don't know if, if the cicadas will come and, and sort of look up and say, oh, yeah, it looks, looks okay, but I might wait another year and they can wait that extra year underground. Or if conditions are, are fantastic, they might emerge um, a year earlier. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it might be a, 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 an adaption um, trait over a long period of time where the ones that have emerged um, in these odd years or in prime years have um, have survived, and that that sort of trait has been um, has become more fixed in the population and has continued on through through generations. It's a really sort of fascinating um, topic, I think that that needs a lot more attention. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen stuff around already too that's saying that this year in Sydney is a mass emergence year, right? Is yes. that true? Yeah. Certainly is. Yeah. What? I, I guess you kind of covered this a bit, but like, yeah, what causes that mass mass emergence? We we have a lot of uh, or what we what we believe are a number of, of broods that are emerging at the same uh, year, and they do this on that um, uh, on that sort of cyclical um, uh, process. So we had a we had previous mass emergences. Uh, in 2013, so seven years ago, and we had a, another one, albeit smaller, in 2017-2018 summer. So this is essentially a, a continuation of, of that um, that cycle. So we're effectively experiencing all the the progeny of of the cicadas that um, had emerged in, in 2013 in large numbers. So has there ever been a year, I'm thinking as there were different species, the emergent years there, so the years they're under ever lined up and you get this like apocalyptic emergence where it's just more than you possibly could imagine just because all the years kind of lined up. Is there something in history where like it's, you know, 1933, it was like a plague on earth and every cicada emerged? Well, yeah, it, <laughs> across countries, I'm not so sure. Um, we... we we don't know enough about what they do and how they spend their life underground and what triggers them specifically to emerge. Um, we suspect some of the smaller species and, and they can get quite small. So, you know, we're talking about a centimetre in size for some of the smallest cicadas here in Australia. They might not necessarily need as much time to uh, develop and mature underground. So they, they could be uh, annual um, emergence um, potentially, if we could set up some sort of ant farm to monitor these nymphs for years on end, that would be um, fantastic. If if someone wants to uh, um, fund fund that project, <laughs> that would be awesome. But all, all signs are pointing this year up in Sydney, um, in particular, for it to be a mass emergence for a number of species. So we're we're kicked off with the green grocer, um, and and they're still singing loud and proud around Sydney and the Blue Mountains. Uh, the down in the south coast in, in around Wollongong um, and up north as well. And now we're getting some of the, the other large cicadas emerging in large numbers, the, the Black Prince and the Australia's largest cicada species, the Eastern Double Drummer, which can have a wingspan of up to 15 centimetres. So um, quite big, quite noisy. Um, and, yeah, they're looking like they're going to be here and, and um, singing the sound of summer for, for months to come. Those are some great names, great common names. The Black Prince, was that one of them? The Black Prince, yes, the, the Sand Fairy, the Sand Grinder, the Desert Screamer, the Cherry <laughs> Nose. <laughs> it's 
silver princess, and and it's not just uh, it's not just the common names too. There are some um, very peculiar scientific names too. So the the candy tiger squawker uh, its scientific name is uh, the genus is Eurodelicious, and the uh, species is Longipennis. So I, I don't know who managed to get away with that. Yeah, um, but but it's there. There's also another genus called Eurobanana. <laughs> but it's not spelled how you think how you expect it would but yeah i think that 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 when people hear that i think it kind of sparks their imagination in either a good or a bad way um and i think that's that's one of the um reasons why people are attracted to cicadas or at least know of them yeah i don't know who's naming all of these ones like who created tiger candy stripe is that what you said candy tiger squawker yeah <laughs> what is that yeah, uh, I, I don't know. We, the entomologists are, are uh, a funny bunch. So everyone thinks a bit, bit, we're a bit boring, stunning uh, invertebrates, but it's uh, not 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 always the case. <laughs> I feel like I have a really good sense of the mood of the person who names the desert screamer as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some some of these cicadas really do sound like screaming children or, or people being murdered. Some some people will say when they first hear these things. So I guess it's sort of telling it like it is, describing it like it is. Yep. So when they are underground, so I know you said there is not much known about it, but what do we know about their larval stages? So when uh, the cicadas uh, hatch from, from the eggs from, from the trees, so the, the, the female will uh, has, a, has an ovipositor, which she um, can pierce soft wood and lays eggs into little slits, um, and she can lay up to 200 um, or more eggs, depending on the... The species these these eggs will hatch within about four weeks and the nymphs will basically free fall it to the ground from the tree and will begin digging underground and they tend to stay very close to their host tree that they hatch on and they feed off the the, the roots and the sap so some of these larger species can get quite deep underground if their um, uh, host plant is a eucalyptus species for example they've got quite deep roots and when they're underground, they don't usually do much besides feed and undergo several several molts as they get larger and larger in size. And uh, they eventually emerge um, on the trees to, to um, uh, undergo their final molt. So that's when you get the little dry, at least I'm from, from Chicago originally. And so we, I believe I lived through one of the mass events because I remember one year specifically where they just took over my hometown. And you get the little dry shells, correct, along yes. the side of the trees? Yes. We, we, the scientific term is exuvia, um, but we, we call them cicada shells, nymphal casings, nymph casings, nymph shells, lots of words for them, yeah. So I think Farley before and kind of just now has used words like they're a plague and they're taking over. Um, <laughs> do, do the cicadas actually do any damage? Uh, anecdotally, there's there's uh, reports that some uh, may cause cause damage. I, I think it's mainly to uh, human human crops. So uh, things like uh, uh, wineries in the in the vineyards. Um, some 
some uh, uh, owners have said, oh, when this cartilage in play, they're just going to suck my uh, um, uh, vines dry. And, and I think um, similarly, the uh, uh, cicada up in, up in Queensland has had reports of, of damaging sugarcane crops as well. But there's no real scientific evidence to say that um, these cicadas are causing permanent um, damage or, or indeed sucking trees dry. Hmm. Yeah, I will say, I like to say it's the plague and all that, but I really actually, as a child, I thought it was one of the cooler processes. Even when you found, especially you found the mating, because it's kind of incredible the way that female males connect. It was always a really fun time because you get a chance to handle these just massive insects. And you can kind of just pick them up off a tree. But, so it's kind of like a, in my, for my memory of childhood, it's kind of always like a pleasant thing, like hearing the cicadas in the trees, hearing the cicadas, especially when you got in your house and your entire house sounds like it's echoing. Yeah, exactly. And and as kids, our, our imaginations run run wild, and seeing these empty uh, cicada shells that kind of look almost alien. Um, if you don't know what it what it is, it's it's sort of very hard to 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 um, comprehend. And and when you actually um, get a, a have an adult cicada in your hands, it just makes this loud noise. And you think, how can something this small just make such an ear piercing sound, which indeed can ha- you know damage human ears after after a prolonged um, uh, uh, exposure to that noise, and that just creates a, a fascination um, that you know as as adults and 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 as an expert um, and researcher myself is what I really want to. Um, uh, for others to, to capture, you know, kids, small kids and, and big kids too. Yeah. yeah, so how do they make their song? So the male, uh, the male cicadas have uh, mostly hollow abdomens and they have these uh, internal structures called timbals, which are, are like, it's a pair of uh, ribbed membranes. So you can think of it almost as like a sheet of uh, corrugated iron. And what they do is they um, they pulse these really really quickly, sometimes up to 300, 400 times a second, and it creates this and that creates the noise. So it's almost like wobbling that corrugated iron uh, uh, sheet to make that noise, but they do it so really really rapidly. And above those timbals, they have uh, a pair of um, opercula. So they're kind of what we, we sometimes call drummers. And these uh, act as amplifiers to really sort of make, uh, increase the volume of that, that sound, um, especially so for in larger species. Did not know that. I like the idea of creating that sound out with corrugated iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like uh, old Rolf Harris's uh, wobble board, if uh, yeah. anyone knows that routine. That's what I was picturing as well, actually. I'm actually amazed no one's created for like a burning man or something, a giant cicada with a just corded iron just to make the noise and amplify it everywhere. <laughs> that would be very, very cool. I'd be up for that. <laughs> yeah. That's only something you would do actually. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, cicadas might sometimes get blamed on crickets and vice versa. So for someone just sitting at home and listening, how would you pick the difference? or some other insects as well? So the, the main difference for uh, uh, cicadas from other um, hemipterans is their three false eyes that they have between their compound eyes. They're, they're called ocelli. They're olfactory sensors which the cicadas use to uh, detect movement and, and changes in, in, in light. So they're a way they, they can potentially sort of avoid um, predators by using that, that 
um, sensory mechanism. Um, it's very hard to distinguish sometimes some of the smaller species um, when they're calling from um, crickets and grasshoppers. Uh, I've, I've fallen into that trap myself many times trying to catch a cicada for, for hours only to, to spot it as a, as a grasshopper in the grass, which is thoroughly embarrassing and, and disappointing, but we all do it. And, and it really takes a, a bit of training and a bit of practice to, to um, memorize some of the, the cicada calls, um, particularly those at, at similar frequencies to uh, the noise that, that uh, crickets and grasshoppers make. That makes me feel a bit better actually. So I know I've had times where like, you know, you're the biologist and your friend asks you, what's that making that noise? And it's like, uh, I think it's a cicada, but not being completely sure. So usually yeah. if there's some sort of repetitious pattern or, or interesting sort of, uh, uh, song pattern, it's, it's more than likely going to be a, be a cicada. But, but that said, there are a lot that just, just constantly buzz like a, like a cricket or a grasshopper would. Mm. I do enjoy those biologist moments too. Like I had to do bird surveys for a long time and the number of times I went to a ground squirrel hole thinking it was a bird, just I'd, and then 20 minutes later, I'd be tricked by the exact same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, you just hope no one's around when you do that. <laughs> Somehow, someone always is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it happens when you're training a volunteer or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you just say, oh, I was just testing you. It's, it's okay. <laughs> you run this project called the Great Cicada Blitz. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, the Great Cicada Blitz is a citizen science project that I set up. Uh, I think it's in its sixth season now. So it was set up on the iNaturalist uh, platform, which is a, a global online uh, database for biodiversity which you can, um, anyone around the world can submit uh, uh, observations of, of just about anything. And what really sort of uh, drove me to, uh, or attracted me towards the iNaturalist platform is that it allows users to not only upload photos of what they're seeing, um, but in the case of, of cicadas and also things like, like frogs and birds, you don't have to see uh, the, um, what's making the noise in order to record it and put it on our naturalist for verification. You can actually upload audio files to your observations. And for things like cicadas, where every species has its own unique uh, calling song, it's then readily uh, can be identified um, by, by experts on that data set. But because us, we cicada researchers are all um, doing this out of passion and not paid work, we can't get everywhere that we'd like to in a short space of time and record emergences and, and get a better understanding of distribution patterns of species. So being able to call on the, the, the general public to upload their sightings wherever they are, even if it's from their own, own home, um, be it in suburban Sydney or, or way out in the, in the middle of the desert, um, just enhances our, our uh, ability to understand more about the ecology of these, these species. And considering that we've only scientifically described half, less than half of the 800 species that we know, there's a lot of work to do and a lot that we really need to know and that we should know considering that we are the capital of the cicada capital of the world. Yeah, that's a good pitch. I like it. If I had money. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm. I'm a very serious e-birder, and then a lot of my. I have a lot of friends who are very hardcore iNaturalists, um, who are just obsessed with it and just love using the platform. Um, have you guys, as a group of cicada uh, biologists, have you discovered any new species or potentially discovered any new species based on the use of iNaturalist? Uh, yes, we have. Actually, this this season um, is a, a perfect example. So we had a uh, recording of an unknown species north of, of Sydney in, in the Hawkesbury um, from 2012. Um, and all it was was a recording. Um, so we knew something was out there, but we didn't know what it was. And um, with cicadas, these, these things being boom and bust, we sort of put on the back burner um, because we come across other other interesting things in 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 later seasons um and we actually um uh a species was was uploaded to iNaturalist with the um same recording same recording song for the male and um it took us took us a little bit of time but then we thought oh hang on that that seems familiar and with after a bit of digging yeah was this this same unknown species from a recording um, eight years ago. And um, from, from that observation, we were able to go out um, to the, the approximate location that next weekend. And we managed to collect uh, a few males and, and female specimens, which uh, we're now describing um, scientifically for, for publication. So we wouldn't have been able to, to do that without um, knowing where it actually actually was. That's yeah. so exciting. That's really exciting, yeah. Awesome. The, the people who submitted those sightings, do they, do they know all this as well? Are they excited about it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's some really keen, uh, keen beans out there and, and, uh, and really keen cicada files um, that are absolutely excited to be able to, to contribute to science um, and, and find new things. And, and really, there's just so much unknown about cicadas and, and we're still finding new species that I, I think the appeal of, of being able to find something new and maybe get something named after, after yourself is, is um, a cause to get out there and, and see what's out in your local patch of bush. Yeah, well, this will be called the iNaturalist Screamer or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's gonna it, it, it will be called the uh, Darug Squeaker in, in recognition of the of the area where it was um, discovered. Nice. Is that Squeaker you said? Yes. That squeaker. sounds really cute. It does. Yes, we have lots of squeakers, squawkers, rattlers, uh, <laughs> tinklers. Um, yeah, all all sorts of things. You could just have a song of just you listing off all of the names, just with a little tune in the background. It'd be really yeah, cool. just like the periodic table. Yeah. Like, yeah, someone who's a bit more musically inclined than me might be able to get a whole bunch of the different uh, male calling songs and and create a, a a new song based on their 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 beats. Um, that that would be really really cool. It, nothing says quintessential Australian summer like a song made out of cicada calls. Yeah. We really need it. Every, every time um, someone talks about cicadas, they hark back to uh, a song from the 80s or 90s by an Australian um, garage rock band called The Cicada That Ate Five Doc, um, which is a really odd song. I, I encourage you to Google it and, and watch it on YouTube. <laughs> but um, if you can get past the first chorus, you're doing better than me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe we'll close out this episode with it. <laughs> um, so I have to know, so you guys had two recordings, one from eight years ago, and you're able to remember that recording and then pinpoint that and be like, that was the different one. Like that to me is pretty incredible focus and also memory from you guys. Yeah, so because it's it's a very slow process to, to write papers, as I'm sure we all, all know and, and describe things, um, and Cicada's been periodical, you sort of ebbs and flows with, with what's around. Um, so when something new is is found or heard, it, it gets given a, a number in, into a, a taxonomic number system. So we can um, use that as a, as a reference point to... Um, go back and, and look at what's been what has been found but is not actually in the uh, literature. So it's a really um, useful reference um, tool that was that was created. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that could so easily be left and just forgotten about, especially over that long of a period of time. That's great that you guys are able to like, go back and so quickly find it. Yeah. So if, if people want to get involved with that. Uh, project so they just um so they just look you up on iNaturalist is that right yeah so it's free to join iNaturalist um you can do it via the the website iNaturalist.org or you can download the the app onto your smart device and sign up there it's um free to join and you can um search for the project name the great Sakata blitz and um join up as um as a member um, it's not a, a requirement to join up as a, as a member. The, the benefit is that you'll be able to quickly access um, project updates and, and little news blogs that, um, that I periodically um, post up there. But the way the project is set up is that it will um, get, collect all um, cicada data that's getting inputted in, in New South Wales and add it to the project. And you also have a community group on Facebook called Cicadarama. So it seems like that's basically a cicada, I've reverted to cicada apparently, cicada appreciation group. Yes, um, I have to say, it sounds better if you say Cicadarama. It rolls off the tongue. Cicadarama. But yeah, we, we, we started that up as an as a outreach um, uh, group. So we um, had our, our plan was to share um, a lot more information um, about cicadas um, and their their ecology because um, really they're Australia's favourite summer uh, insect. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have stories to tell from their childhood or, or adulthood about um, cicadas and. We sort of realised that they are a really effective communication tool for highlighting the diversity that we have here in Australia and the importance of um, conserving that diversity. Um, we do a few surveys in uh, some threatened ecological communities, some cicada surveys, um, just to see what the cicada diversity is in those communities and, and whether they are quite specific. And some of the early signs are showing that that they are. So, you know, we're really trying to promote this um, message that every patch of bush is is unique and has something special to it, whether it's cicadas or, or something else. So the fact that their life cycle is such that they emerge almost as one out of nowhere 
And even if you don't see them, you'll hear them. And if you don't hear them, you'll see the, the empty shelves that they left behind. So they always strike up your, your curiosity and, and your attention. And it's great that they emerge in summer too, because that's our favorite time of the year as, as Aussies. You know, it, it reminds <laughs> us that it's barbecue time. It's, it's time to go to the beach and, and that the end of the year is approaching. It's Christmas, it's holidays. And yeah, there's a lot of positive positive vibes around cicadas so they're really i i think a, an effective um psychom uh uh tool i guess for just encouraging people to to get interested in 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 nature and and um hopefully cicadas love it it's like the uh it's the yeah the alarm bell at the end of school to alert summers here the cicadas are out i love that exactly yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which is what it was, though. It's so funny, like, looking back at my chat, like, that was summer. The second skaters were out, you're going to be outside all day. Yep, yep, exactly. So, I mean, we we still collect shells and spray paint them gold and stick them on a Christmas tree or um, some of the larger shells. You can fit small, colorful fairy lights uh, into and make a really cool display. So, you know, it's it's just you're limited by your own imagination with, with these creatures. They're so fascinating. My favorite was always walking, collecting them as you go home from school and then finding your friend who doesn't pit notice and you just cover their backs with them. So their entire back would be covered slowly. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, you know, going back 30, 40 years ago, people have told me that um, chemists would pay, you know, a few pounds if you brought in a black print cicada to them. Um, why? I, I don't know. But um, there's all these sorts of stories of trading cicadas in school grounds where you could um, trade a black, a precious black prince for um, five other species. It's kind of like um, Pokemon trading cards in the, in the, in the 50s and 60s. But I'd, I'd really like to know what the, the reason was for all that. Um, up here in Sydney in particular, black princes are very common. <laughs> They're not that rare. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> even I'm fascinated by these things. <laughs> yeah, are they especially pretty or something? Um, they do have uh, uh, sort of goldish hairs that, that shimmer in the, in the sunlight. But, um, yeah, beyond that, they're, they're pretty sort of black and, and purple, as the, as the name suggests. But, but maybe having Prince there, that royal title, just um, makes them more important. Mm. Sparkly princes. Yes. I can see primary school me getting behind that. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's 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 a great cicada. It's not as good as a red eye, but um, <laughs> it's it's still good. I'm kind of disappointed. I've never seen you, Annie, do the fairy lights cicadas. Oh, I love that, that idea. Uh -huh. I might see if I can do that this summer if I can find shells around. That's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's really good, particularly when you set the lights to kind of shimmer on and off. It's just oh. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, every biology building needs that at the Christmas party. That seems essential yep definitely we do a wonderful job of scaring off all the other non-bio kids <laughs> <laughs> um quick quick question for you so as like a, a bird watcher is this something you catalog as well do you like catalog every cicada species you see like i like to keep a list of all the birds i see do you do the same thing yeah i'm, I'm keeping a, a, a tabs on the list of species that i hear here at uh, home in the lower blue mountains um, and also at, at work because we've got hundreds of, of hectares of um, untouched um, gardens um, threatened, threatened wood um, communities on there. Uh, I think I'm up to 12 species that I've heard on my, on my walks um, uh, around work. So yeah, it's, it's, it's 
always good to keep a list because that's when you know you you can uh, add one to it and say, oh, yes, up to 13. Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Was that part of what inspired your book as well, your guide to cicadas of Greater Sydney, having those lists and having your own keeping track? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and just sort of showcasing the diversity that we have in such um, uh, well, what really is a, a small spatial area um, most people know of, of the Green Grocer, the Black Prince and, and the Silver Princess, but uh, haven't heard that we uh, of these other species like the Alarm Clock Squawker or the Black Squeaker or the Sand Fairy. And just to be able to show these, these species in all their, all their glory and, and just the sheer diversity that we have um, in them was, was a, a, a major driving point for me with that. And, and people would tell me when we start, first started the Cicada Rama group, there's just no... Um, current resource or accessible information for people who just want to know more, who who aren't interested in sort of the taxonomic, the hard the hard science. They just want to, you know, potentially look at, at pretty photos or understand more about what's calling in their in their backyard. So that that really drove me to to produce the the first edition, which was a very small um, uh, book, which was done as as a very very sort of Sunday afternoon thing but um i had such good feedback um and suggestions with that book that um yeah I spent the last uh three or four years photographing more species and and um, putting a lot more information into this um new second edition which is you know three times the size of the of the first one so yeah that seems like such a great idea i honestly before you got in touch with us i had no idea that we had that kind of diversity of cicadas here. It's, yeah, we just talk about the cicadas and yeah, yeah it's very exciting. A, we, we are in a very sort of uh, um, special sort of situation here. I mean, particularly in Sydney, but also in Brisbane and um, Melbourne too, where we have uh, a number of cicada species that occur um, in, the, in our urban areas. And, and in Sydney, that's even in, right in the CBD. Um, it's, it's great having the, a large green space in the Royal Botanic Gardens um, right in the heart of Sydney because that's that's fantastic habitat for these species. But we, we just seem to have um, a number of species that, that are potentially adapted um, to these more urban environments and whether that's from something that we've done by, by lining suburban streets with their favourite food source um, or they're just, they're just better adapted to, to survival there is... is, is um, something really cool. Yeah, I kind of love too the fact that like people, it is hard to get people interested in things, but if you give them a guide and all of a sudden they start noticing things, like even the fact that we're having this conversation, I'm going to now listen for cicadas and try to find different ones. Because <laughs> you now give me that little itch where it's like, ah, I want to know what they all are, are now. Yeah, so um, as, as you um, can probably appreciate, it's very hard too to, uh, to um, uh, I, I guess get the message across of, of the the call songs and and um, obviously being a, a in a hard copy you can't um, put audio files in there. So what I've done is um, create uh, kind of like symbols and and um, and words for you to actually sound out the the calls too to help you be able to identify those. So along with the, the images and the distributions and, and, and the actual size or, or, or very close to the size of the cicada. So it is a, a very useful tool, I think, for, for people who actually want to go out and, and um, find cicadas. 
Yeah, that's so cool. Also, what a perfect thing for like encouraging kids, especially to go out there, be able to sound it out, figure out what you're actually listening to. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it really sort of gives you this this um, uh, training and 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 um, um, sort of muscle memory in, in the brain when you start learning these calls. And um, it, it, admittedly, it was a little bit easier for me because I, I grew up with a bit of a musical background at, at school. So um, it's it's sort of a way to, um, or it, it sort of reflects, reflects that and trying to be able to sound out these calls. You don't have to uh, necessarily create um, the, right, the right pitch, but just being able to get the rhythm and um, relate the sounds with, with um, audible words, um, I think just goes a long way in being able to identify some of these from, from just hearing them. Yeah, that's cool. I think I'm out of questions. Did you have anything else, Farley, before we, or David, before we wrap up? Well, that was a classic thing. Can you give us a couple, as scientists, we always can have some weird encounters in the field. Do you have any funny, weird encounters you want to describe to us? I'm sure there's um, weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few of them. There's, there's a lot of people that wonder uh, um, what we're doing, um, particularly with the cicada species that mostly call during the, the evening after, after dusk for a half an hour period when it's dark. And um, when we go places and, and hear these things, we'll head out in the um, dimly lit streets with um, insect nets and we'll stare at people's trees on their front verges or, uh, or even in their, their front hedges, um, trying to find where these, these damn things are, are calling from. And most often they're, they're green in color and very well camouflaged so we can be there for quite some time. And we have had uh, police on patrol come around and uh, flash their lights and, and say, what are you doing? What are you doing around here? And you have to sort of explain to them, oh, we're just looking for the cicadas because they, they think we're trying to do a home invasion or kidnap someone with, with nets or, or, or you know, steal someone's pet. But um, they, the, the sad thing is once they explain to them that oh, we're, you know, we're researching cicadas and, and we're trying to catch this thing that's, that's calling in the bushes and you know, we have a scientific permit to, to do that, they just go, oh, oh okay, and just look so totally disinterested and say, oh, that's what's making that racket, oh, and then just drive off. <laughs> you sort of just feel a bit, bit flat after that <laughs> and usually the cicada stops squalling so it's uh yeah then you just go home empty-handed and think well well that was an interesting experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always amazing when you get stopped yeah people totally can deflate you because i worked with magpies and it's one of those things where you get stopped they ask what you're doing and they're like oh we're gonna magpies like oh i hate magpies like great thank you this is yeah yeah people get interested about how bad they are yeah yeah people get interested and think we're trying to catch koalas or something because everyone loves koalas and we know it's an invertebrate oh okay carry on (laughs) (laughs) need to stop this bias against the uh invertebrates true yeah everyone thinks likes things that are large and fluffy then if you have a large fluffy invertebrate i don't think people like that either yeah, there are quite a few hairy cicadas um, too. So, you know, it's not just the animals that are hairy. And there's, there's quite a few hairy plants out there as well. So, um, yeah, whatever you want to cuddle, I guess. <laughs> maybe maybe you should start also, after your book, start making some uh, plush cicadas, the hairy plush cicadas. Toys oh, yeah, that, that is a good, good idea. We did create one, but it got a little bit uh, worse for wear after a few uh, 
handles at a at a scientific um, event. I like so that. Need some running repairs, but just like normal <laughs> cicadas, they don't last long in adult form. So <laughs> just need to keep planning more. Yeah, if you can get a morph and then tear you tear off the shell and slowly evolves into a nice little cute little fluffy cicada. That that would be very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, I did get sent photos from a um, a, a very proud mum um, a couple of years ago of her um, of her son who went to his school's book week um, dressed up as a blue moon cicada, um, taking my cicada book in. Uh, that was that was very very awesome. So, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, I think I think we've gone through our questions, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. This was really interesting. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to spruik cicadas. Yeah. Yeah, and um, as far as people potentially following you or reaching out to you, um, do you want to kind of say your, I guess, your little bio, your information? Yeah, so the best way you can get in contact is um, follow our uh, Facebook page, which is Cicadarama. You can search for us on Facebook or it's facebook.com slash Um You can also get in touch on our um, website, which is cicadarama.square.site. And um, you can also contact me at nathan at cicadarama.com. Um, Happy to answer any questions you might have on cicadas or even help you identify um, something that you've you've found. Do you have a most frequently asked question? Yeah, what's the point of cicadas? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's most common. It's like, yeah, I, I know they, they make a lot of noise and stuff or that they're, they're um, you know, food for some from some animals, but what is what is the point of them? in this world and uh, just you know I, I well i could i could flippantly say what's the point of humans um but that that they space out a bit too much with that so i uh, you know building on 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 what they sort of suggest it is they are an important um food source a pulse of food at a time that um is very dry and very hot for a lot of animals and uh indeed when um when areas when bush burns some cicadas will still um, be okay and still emerge on um, the recovering landscape. Um, so they are a food source to potentially encourage other uh, fauna to return to these um, recovering sites. So they do have a, a role to play, even if it is um, one of those is just to annoy us for a few months with, the, with their noise. But yeah, everything has a purpose um, out there. Yeah, it sounds also like it's worth appreciating them for what they are as well, not just as a source of food. Exactly. I mean, we, we as I said, we have the, the richest diversity of cicadas in the world, and that's probably a reflection of, of um, our isolation here in Australia for such a long period of time and, and mirrors the, the diversity of, of you know, plant communities and animals that we have here from you know, coastal sand dunes all the way out to the arid arid deserts. So, you know, we, we should um, be proud of that and, and enjoy um, that diversity that, that we have and that is unique to Australia. Definitely. I think that if someone says that next time to start listing off the names of the cicadas and they'll be like, oh, that makes sense. That was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You only need to say desert screamer and then I'll say, yep. Yep. <laughs> I understand now. It'll make sense. One brewery, just get a brewery to just do a beer line of all cicada beers because the names are all sound like brewery, like beer names. 
Yeah, yeah, that actually, hey, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Next time there's a lockdown, I've got a new COVID project. <laughs> if you want me to toss out ideas that I'll never follow through on, let me know. You can always call me in. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> what is that. <laughs> I'm, all I'm doing is imagine you now in, uh, what's it called, in, uh, in the desert at a festival in a giant cicada tossing out beers to adults and plush toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Desert scream of pale owls. Got some bleakness <laughs> and bite. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. Oh, thank you all. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was fun. I say cicada, you say cicada, I say advance and you say advance. Cicada, cicada, advance and advance. Let's call the whole thing off. Animalia Podcast is hosted by Annie Allsbrook and Farley Connolly, with occasional interjections by me, the sound engineer David Roker. Our logo is designed by Osvaldo Branklin-Yaw, and all original music is by Sean Pratt.